Good morning. Good morning, all. Um, well, it's really great this morning, wasn't it, I think, so far, and God is really moving and speaking, um, and I'm just going to really continue and um, follow on um, and hopefully uh, share God's word with you today. So our title this morning is Do Not Be Unbelieving, But Believing. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. I don't believe it is a common phrase you're going to hear, isn't it? You probably have said it many times yourself. Um, you say something, I can't believe that, at our disbelief. You may remember um, a, a 90s comedy series, I don't believe it, which is a, a Victor Mildred um, catchphrase, if you remember that. Um, I was chatting to um, Dan Osgood the other week, and if you talk to Dan, you will know that... Um, you'll probably get an instant sports report, okay, as soon, as soon as you talk to him. And what he does with me is he actually, um, he comes and tells me all of the latest sports reports and what's going on. It's almost like a co-commentary, an ongoing commentary. And he especially talks to me about Tottenham, which is my team, okay. Uh, and the other week he came to me and he said, Steve, Tottenham are losing. Tottenham are losing 1-0. And I said, Dan, no way. They're playing West Brom, okay. There's no way they're losing. I do not believe you. And I disregarded him, and I got home, and they were indeed losing <laughs> to West Brom. And have not been doing very well since, actually, either. When I first started um, work, I left school at 16, and I went straight into, into the working world, because I just didn't enjoy the homework. And um, I, was, I was very cynical and disbelieving, and I, I was often... It was often said to me that, Steve, you're so untrusting, you're so disbelieving. Because I, I just didn't understand the working world. I was brand new to it. Um, and one of the first jobs I was given was, um, age 16, was to sweep up this warehouse. Um, and I thought that he was having a joke with me. I thought, I've just left school. I'm not here, and I'm not going to come and sweep a warehouse up. And I thought, no, he's joking. And so I just, he went off, and he left me. And then he came back an hour later, and he said, why haven't you cleared up? Why haven't you tidied up? So I thought, you were joking, I didn't believe you. And I quickly learned then about the ways of the world and, and you need to obey your, your boss uh, at work. Um, and as I, as I carried on, I, um, I became an estate agent, actually. Um, and I was a bit of a, a prankster um, at work, and I did f- maybe play a few tricks. And there was one time um, when the guy who was sitting in front of me, I sent him an email, and I said to him, um, can you call this telephone number, call this man, um, because he wants to sell his house. Now, that was a perfectly normal thing for uh, this, this person to receive as an email. And so he calls up this telephone number. What he doesn't know is the number I've given him is the number for London Zoo. <laughs> okay, and he rings up and he says, hello, can I talk to Mr. C. Lyon? He wants to, <laughs> he wants to sell his house. And... I was sitting behind him, fits of laughter. <clears throat> and, he, and he was saying, yeah, yeah, Mr. C. Lyon, he wants to sell his house. I've got a message, he's rung up for me. And she, said, she was saying, no, 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 I don't think, uh, I think you're being had, you're being, uh, you're being made a, a bit of a joke here. And he came off the phone and he said to me, Steve, I, I can't understand it. She said that Mr. C. Lyon wasn't there. And, and actually, she often gets calls asking for him. And also, they often ask for a Mr. G. Raff. And, and he just did not believe that he didn't work there. <laughs> I was talking to someone um, earlier on this week, and 
they said, Steve, have you heard about the conspiracy theory that the earth is actually flat? Okay. And I said, no, I do not believe that. I can't believe that. It's impossible for me to believe that. It's a common thing, isn't it? I don't believe it. I can't believe that. I spoke to someone earlier on at work this week, um, and they said, Steve, I would love to believe in God, but I can't. I just feel like I, I want to believe, but I can't believe. I need some kind of evidence, some kind of sign before I can believe. Well, let's have a look at what the Bible says about this topic. If you've got a Bible with you, we're going to look in John chapter 20. Be reading from the New King James. John chapter 20 and uh, verse 24. Now, to set the scene here, Jesus has um, been crucified upon a cross. Three days later, he's risen again. And he appears to, to Mary, he appears to the disciples. But when he appears to the disciples, Thomas is not there. Thomas has gone down to Lidl. He's doing his weekly shop. He's missed out when Jesus has come back. And when he returns, the disciples said, Thomas, Jesus was here. He says, I don't believe it. I will not believe it unless I can see myself. So John 20 and verse 24 says, Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples, therefore, said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the mist and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. And look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And this morning, God wants to follow on from what he's already been saying to us. And he wants to bring us into a, from a place of of unbelief, into a position of faith. He wants to take us from a place where... We, we cannot believe where we have distrust into a position of utter belief in him. Now, for some of us, he is going to reignite the, the, the dream that we've had. We've been praying for something for 20 years, and maybe you have become worn out. You have become tired. You've lost hope from praying for that thing that you've been praying again and again for for 20 years. He is going to reignite that faith for you to believe again. He's going to pour up faith inside of us. It's going to bubble up inside of us. We're going to be able to believe him for the impossible. And for the people that can identify with Thomas, you think, you know, I just can't believe in God until I see him with my own eyes. I need a sign from heaven. I need to see something, some kind of evidence. Well, the message that he has for you is exactly the same. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. So when I read this, um, these words of Jesus, do not be unbelieving but believing, I don't see Jesus coming to Thomas 
and saying, Thomas, why don't you maybe next time try and have a bit of faith? I mean, I really want to encourage you. How about an idea? Just try and believe in me next time. I don't see Jesus tiptoeing around Thomas. But what I see is this directness, this instruction, this command, Thomas, do not be unbelieving, but believing. I see this command almost. Now, I feel a bit sorry for Thomas myself. That's not just because my middle name is actually Thomas, okay? But I do feel a lot of sympathy with this guy. I think that he gets a lot of bad press, all right? It seems that everyone's against him. We often will call someone a doubting Thomas, yeah? Throughout the last 2,000 years, Thomas has been associated as a doubter. But I feel that's quite unfair because I actually discovered that he's no different to the rest of the disciples. Now, in some countries, um, the name Thomas is, is really not used at all. It's much like the word Judas that we have here. Um, if you was to be called a Judas, you would be a betrayer. Yeah, you'd be a liar, uh, a thief. Uh, I've never met anybody with that name. I've never met anybody that wants to give their children the name Judas. And in Russia, the name Thomas is very similar. They will not use it. And I can remember before I got married, um, and you know when you're finding out new things about each other, and I can remember the day that Anna discovered that my middle name was Thomas. And shock came over her face. And she said, I mean, your name is Thomas, like the doubting Thomas, the the Thomas of the Bible. And I was panicking, thinking, she's going to call the wedding off, quick. Get down to the council, I need to change my name. You see, the name Thomas has been associated with doubt. But if we have a look in Mark chapter 16 we find that he's really not that different to the rest of the disciples. Mark 16, verse 14. And the scene is very similar. Jesus has has risen from the tomb. Um, He appears to Mary. He appears to a couple of others. And then in verse 14, it says, Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. I was quite surprised when I read this because the, the disciples also had not believed another report when Jesus had appeared. And so I don't see a lot of difference actually between Thomas and the rest of the disciples. But that's enough of my um, advert really for the name Thomas. We'll, we'll move on from there. And I noticed something in this verse, verse 14. And it said that Jesus rebuked their unbelief and their hardness of heart. And I started to think, why did he rebuke them? Why? That word rebuke is quite a strong word. And I was thinking, surely it's not all that bad. You know, everyone feels like this sometimes, right? Everyone has a bit of hardness of heart or unbelief. Is it such a thing that Jesus should rebuke them for it? And I pondered that the last few days. And I came to the conclusion that Jesus used this, this word, rebuke, because... Unbelief is sin. And as I thought about that, I really had to sort of step back and and try and digest that. Unbelief is sin. I'd never thought really about that. I thought it it was normal. It happens to everyone, right? But here Jesus rebukes their hardness of heart and their unbelief. Now let's look at what the Bible says about this. If you turn to Hebrews 
chapter 3. We can see what, what the Bible says about this topic. Because I'm a great believer that Scripture explains Scripture. And so if you turn to Hebrews chapter 3, we'll read verses 12 and 13. We could go on. And it says in verse 12, Beware, brethren. Beware. Beware, people of Elton. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exalt or encourage one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. These are really strong verses, I feel. Beware, friends, lest in any of you there is found an evil heart of unbelief. It calls the hardness of heart the deceitfulness of sin. And the hard truth here is that if we have unbelief inside of us, we are ill-equipped to serve God. It is not possible to carry out the purposes of God with unbelief. We will not be profitable, we will not be fruitful with unbelief in our hearts. I hope you're beginning to see that the unbelief is an evil. It's bad. And I think it has quite serious consequences as well. Unbelief prevents men and women from performing the good works that God has gone ahead for us to walk in. It disables us. Charles Spurgeon said this, Everything that is evil and vile lies couched in that one word, unbelief. He said, everything that is evil and vile lies couched in that one word, unbelief. And I looked up and uh, found a story um, about the Israelites. Okay, we, most of you will know this story. The Israelites uh, have been brought out of Egypt and God wants to take them into the promised land. This is a land that um, is rich, fertile soil. It flows with milk and honey. And from Egypt to the promised land, it's not really all that far. It's maybe a, a 10-day journey or something. But the Israelites do not get into the promised land. Only two of them make it. An entire generation is wiped out. And they wander around and around for 40 years. Now, why did that entire generation not get into the promised land? The last verse in Hebrews 3 tells us that they did not enter the promised land because of their unbelief. The Israelites walked around and around and around in circles for 40 years because of their unbelief. And I wonder this morning, if you feel that you are wandering around and around, if you feel like the promised land, it's just there, but you can't get there, you can't get into it. And I wonder if it's because of unbelief. You see, unbelief has really serious consequences. 
Uh, and that is the hard truth of, of the scriptures that we have looked at this morning. Now, there's a story um, I'll share with you from the Bible. It's in Mark uh, chapter 9, uh, verse 14. You don't need to turn there. You can follow, follow along if you want to. Now, this is a story. Um, Jesus is up on the mountain. He's just um, been transfigured, and he's up there with Peter, James, and John. Now, the rest of the disciples are down at the bottom of the mountain. Um, and whilst they're there, a man brings his son to them. His son's in a really bad way. He's actually possessed by uh, an evil spirit, and this evil spirit is causing the boy to be thrown on the floor, and he grinds his teeth, he wallows around, he foams at the mouth. And since childhood, this has happened. And the, the father, the poor father, I really feel for him because this son of his, at every opportunity, is being thrown into the, the fire, thrown into the water. Because the, spirit, the evil spirit is trying to kill and destroy the boy. The father's in a terrible way. He's at his wit's end. And he brings his son to the disciples. And he says, cast out this demon for me. Now the disciples, they look at each other. There's that nervous look. Not sure, unsure what to do. Because, you see, Jesus, he's up on the mountain. They're by themselves. And um, Peter, well, Peter's up there and he's the leader, right? They're without Jesus, they're without Peter. James and John... The next two that would probably take control, they're also up the mountain. They look around and they think, well, who's left? We've got Andrew. Andrew's here. Well, he's good at organising things. Maybe he can make a plan. Um, We've got got Judas. Well, he could probably charge the man for our services. Who else is around? Well, Well, Thomas. Well, we know about Thomas, don't we? He's a doubter. What are they going to do? Well, the man's here and he said, you're going to cast this demon out for me. Here's my son. Come on, I need you to do something here. And the disciples think, well, we'll we'll have a go, I suppose. And they said, right, come out of him, demon. They look around. Nothing happens. They sort of shift shift around and think, well, what can we do? We'll, We'll try again, we'll try again. Right, evil spirit, you come out of him. Come out of him now. The evil spirit throws the the boy to the ground. He starts grinding his teeth. The situation gets worse than it was. The disciples take a step back and they think, oh, this this is too big a job for us. We can't do it. At that moment, Jesus comes down the mountain and he says, what's going on here? And the father says, well, I've brought my son who's got an evil spirit in him. I've brought him to your disciples so you can, so they can cast him out, but they can't do it. Jesus then says, unbelieving, faithless people. And then he proceeds to then go on and and cast out that demon from that boy and bring freedom. But note that the disciples, with unbelief inside of them, were unable to follow through the purposes of what God had for them. You see, friends... With unbelief, we are not accessing the full power of God. Jesus says, do not be unbelieving, but believing. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. 
So where does unbelief come from? Where does unbelief come from? I would, I would sum it up in one very simple word, and that is Satan. The evil of unbelief comes, I believe, from the, the very depths of Satan. Satan's chief tool, his most prized possession, his greatest weapon against you and me is unbelief. In the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, he comes to Eve and he says, did God really say that you couldn't eat from that tree? He begins to sow the discontent, the unbelief, and he whispers, that food looks really nice, that fruit looks brilliant to taste, well, why don't you have a go? And Eve reaches out and takes the fruit from the tree. And as she bites into it, from that moment forward for the rest of time until now, Satan has wreaked havoc upon this earth. He is prowling around looking for people that he can sow his seeds of unbelief into. You know, unbelief is like a yeast that you, you place into your bread machine and it permeates the entire mixture. It spreads everywhere. If I was to, to get hold of unbelief and plant it into the earth, into the soil, it wouldn't be very long before I began to see shoots of envy and jealousy. It wouldn't be very long before I began to see growing up dishonesty, and sin. When we question, when we, when we say, can God really do that? We open the door, and you know what? Unbelief scurries in, it scuttles in unnoticed, and it plants its seed. Satan would love for us to be, or us, us to remain in a state of unbelief for the rest of our lives. He would love to hide you in unbelief, blinded from the truth. But Jesus says, do not be unbelieving, but believing. Notice in in Mark, Mark uh, 16, 14, Jesus rebukes the disciples for their unbelief and for their hardness of heart. He deals with this, and once he has dealt with it, he then goes on, the very next verse, He gives them this great commission. He says, go out into all the world and preach the gospel. I want you to cast out the demon. I want you to do miracles in my name. You're going to lay hands on the sick and they're going to recover. You see, when unbelief is dealt with, when it's eradicated from our life, we can access that full power of God that he has for our lives. Now, the opposite to faith Sorry, the opposite to unbelief is faith. That is the complete opposite of unbelief. Uh, And we learn in uh, Hebrews 11.6 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's, again, quite a tough verse to, to grab a hold of. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That tells me that I can pray till I am blue in the face. But without faith, I'm not pleasing him. 
It tells me that I could read the Bible a hundred times over, that I could gain all wisdom and knowledge and understanding. I could do every good work possible in this land, but I would not be pleasing God without faith. You know, friends, you can come to church every Sunday, religiously, for the rest of your life, but you're not pleasing God without faith. Jesus says, do not be unbelieving, but believing, in John 20. He then goes on. John 20, 27, do not be unbelieving, but believing. And in verse 29, he says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Thomas was able to believe because he, he actually saw Jesus. Yeah, he physically saw him. He saw everything. He saw the wounds. We do not have that privilege today. And that's why we need faith. That's why it's so, so important for us to grasp. You know, I have never seen God. I've never seen him in a physical way, face to face, no way. But do you know what? I know that he lives 100%. I know that he lives because he lives in me. And I look out upon people here today and I know that your lives have been transformed. And you know that he lives in you. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It carries on in verse 30, and it says, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John, who wrote this book, this gospel, he's saying, Jesus has done many, many things, but I can't get them all into my book. But the things that I have written down in my book are for you, 2,000 years on. They're for you to read and then to believe. They're going to help you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's going to give you life in his name. Now, in closing, I want to do a a whistle-stop tour through the book of John. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. And John has given us these uh, verses for our benefit, so that we, 2,000 years on, can believe that he is the Son of God. That Jesus is the Son of God. And you don't need to turn to these verses. You can just uh, sit in your seat and allow the word of God to, to wash over you, to, to, to permeate your soul and your heart. And faith will rise as you hear the word of God. So uh, let's begin. In, in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And in John chapter 2, Jesus attends a wedding of a friend of his, and they run out of wine. Rather than uh, his friend suffer the embarrassment of running out of wine, Jesus does his first miracle, and he turns all of these gallons of water into the best-tasting wine. And in John chapter 3, we hear these world-famous words, John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman who's a sinner at a water well. And he says to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. And in John chapter 5, Jesus heals someone who's been paralyzed, who was lame. He says, rise, take up your bed and walk. In John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fish. John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, Jesus says, If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know that I speak on my own authority. In John chapter 8, Jesus comes face to face with a sinner, a woman who is caught in the very act of adultery. And he says to her, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. In John chapter 9, a blind man receives his sight. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 11, we see the the humanity of Jesus as his, his best friend Lazarus dies and Jesus weeps. Jesus weeps and shows compassion and then goes on to, to raise him from the dead. In chapter 12, we see scriptures being fulfilled that were, that were written down hundreds of years ago as Jesus comes into Jerusalem upon a donkey. In chapter 13, the humility of Jesus as he washes the disciples' feet. In John chapter 14, he declares that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. If you abide in me, you will be fruitful. In chapter 16, he promises us the Holy Spirit. In chapter 17, Jesus prays. He prays first for himself, he then prays for the disciples, and then he prays for us, people that will believe later on in 2,000 years' time. That is us. In chapter 18, Jesus is arrested. He's put on trial. He's questioned. He's betrayed. In John chapter 19, a crown of thorns is twisted around and placed and dug into his head. He's mocked and he's beaten He's slapped and he's spat upon. And ultimately he's nailed to a cross. And in John chapter 20, he rises again. The stone is rolled away. He appears first to Mary, then to the two men, then to the disciples. And he comes back to Thomas 
And he says, Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands and see. Go on, put your hand into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Hallelujah. Can I ask the, uh, the worship team to, to come back? These things are written that you may believe, that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing we can have life in his name. This is what it's all about, the life in the name of Jesus. And I want to, uh, I think we should respond to God. And I would like to invite you, if, if God has been speaking to you, to invite you to stand to your feet. And if you feel that after many years, you, your faith has become dulled or you've, you've started to lose that faith and you feel that, yeah, God's saying I need to believe again. And just stand to your feet. Just stand up in your seat where you are in response to God. Say, yeah, I want to believe. I want to believe for greater things. I want to believe for the impossible. If you find yourself here and you can really associate with Thomas, saying, you know what, I can never believe. Well, God has put faith in your heart today to believe. And if that's you, just stand to your feet. If you want to say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ today, stand to your feet. And God will give you faith to do that. Praise God. I want to pray with you now. Father, we do come, Lord, into your presence, into the Holy of Holies. Lord, we worship you for who you are. You are the giver of life. Lord, I thank you that you are giving faith this morning. To every person that has standed, Lord, you are inputting a faith Lord, that is going to rise up and become mighty. Lord God Almighty, will you be glorified in our lives? Lord, will you cause us to believe you for more and more? Will you raise our expectations? Father, may we believe you for the impossible. We thank you, Jesus, that you died for us. We thank you that you rose again. Lord, we bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.